Hey, Seth. Yeah? Get your little white ass in here. We got a podcast to record, boy. Okay, I'm coming. Is produced by the baddest man on the beat. They say the early bird gets the worm, and I'll tell you what, folks, I've got worms. That was your catchphrase for this episode of the Real Boys Podcast. And uh, welcome to episode three. Yeah, hello and welcome to the Real Boys podcast. The third time's the charm here. Well, Ben, I think before we get started here, we should allow our listeners to know why it's been so long since they've heard from us. Oh, yeah. Well, we were planning to release one like right before Christmas, a little Christmas present for you guys, but... Uh, your boy being, well, he messed up a little bit. Mm. I, I had a little uh, snafu, a little bugaboo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we recorded episode three. Uh, this is really episode 3.5. We recorded the whole thing, and then mere mere hours after we recorded it, I was attempting to move all of the files on my computer and somehow accidentally ended up deleting all of them. Yeah. So here we are recording again, deja vu. Wow, yeah. Uh, Episode 3.5. I'm really digging this soundboard right now. I, I've replaced my whole soundboard with like rap ad libs. Uh-huh. So what else you I've got? got uh, ha ha! Bitch. Bitch. That's my, that's my that's favorite. That's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, that's how I feel all the time. <laughs> I've got Drake on here somewhere. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, that's Drake. Well, as all you know, this is a podcast where two boys talk about real things, which is included but not limited to the real housewives, the real world, those for real gas station milkshakes. Those are good. Real news and real estate. We like to talk about real things here. Swag shit. Swag shit. So, Seth, tell us something real. Tell us uh, something about the holidays because we're in that holiday spirit. You know, you know what, what really peeves me is that it's, you know, we have 358 days, 54, 57 days until Christmas and people already have their Christmas lights up. <laughs> I think they're still up from last year. Isn't that crazy? Every no. year it gets like, you know, it was, it was October Christmas stuff in the store. And now beginning of January, people are putting up their Christmas lights I don't for, think, for Christmas. I don't think they're putting them up now. I think they just still haven't it's taken just, them it's down. It's ridiculous. Just like give Thanksgiving it a is all no. Christmas now. Seth. And now we're going to go through Valentine's Day, Easter, 4th of July, all Christmas. Seth, themed. you sound insane. Just wait, like wait a month and see if they're still up. I think people will be taking them down. No, no. This is the, the liberal agenda coming to life <laughs> yeah, here the on the, the Real Boys podcast. They won't even say Merry Christmas anymore. They won't. They won't. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Yeah. These made up holidays. I hate that stuff. Well, anyway, Ben, should we go ahead and get started with the pod? Yeah, let's, uh, let's just launch right into the first segment. Uh, this is one that... We're very excited to share with you. You you guys know that we've been doing uh, Is Florida So Bad? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to switch it up a little this time. Uh, we're going to, this is actually the conclusion of our three part story arc here about Florida being good or bad. 
And this time, we are going to be covering someone else, something else. This time, the podcast is called, Is Flowrida So Bad? So, um, short answer, to which our listeners should already know about Florida, is Florida is so bad. They've got human trafficking, the exploits of Florida man, Serial killers. Serial killers. The sun. The Sunshine State is a dark place. Alligators. Alligators. Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. The list goes on. It folks. goes on. It goes, crime. Crime. They, they have, have crime. They have there. crime in Florida. They have crime there, you guys. So this episode, <laughs> we're going to be talking about someone else who embodies the state's traditions, their ethos, and even the name. This week, we're asking: Is Florida so bad? So Tremar Dillard, better known as Flowrida, has periodically been a mainstay in our cultural headspace. Uh, probably all of you know the song Low, which is his best known song. It absolutely dominated dance floors, clubs, my eighth grade graduation dance. It was everywhere. Just a reminder, it goes, shoddy had them apple bottom jeans, boots with the fur. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about here. Um, Florida is from Florida, from a tiny town called Carroll City. Interesting to note here, Carroll City is within the Miami-Dade area, and Rick Ross and Denzel Curry are some other rappers who hail from there. Uh, it's not a real wonder that all these rappers come from the Miami area. And it's no wonder that Mr. Dillard, Mr. F Mr. Ryder, uh, proudly took on the name of the home state and he left and he's been bringing his message of goodwill to the masses ever since. So now that I've set the scene, I've given you a little bit of context. Let's ask the big question here. Is, Is Flowrida so, so bad? First, we are going to look at his personal life. Florida is a boring rapper. Um, he doesn't swear in his lyrics. He raps about all these ambiguous parties and mysterious no-named women. He's been featured in the 2015 Peanuts movie. Um, he rewrote his song, My House, which y'all might recognize uh, for Nickelodeon. And Right Round, as in you, hit, you spin my head, was notably used in Pitch Perfect, sung by oh. the Troublemakers. So very like family friendly type. Uh, he's in those he's in those movies, those family friendly Peanuts movies, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's because he doesn't swear in his lyrics at all. He just he yeah. makes his songs so that they can appeal to the widest G rated audience. And you know, when someone is structuring their music career around being featured in a Peanuts movie. It's not going to be super, especially if they're stuff. a rapper. It's almost right. sort of uh, antithetical to the whole rap uh, ethos. Ethos, yeah. To, yeah. I can see the shins doing it. Yeah, but Florida. Well, I can. If you don't know anything about Florida, it would be weird. But what I know, knowing what we know about Florida, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. He's also someone, he, he wanted to change the word crunk to gronk. Gronk. G-R-O-N-K. Wait. Gronk. 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 O-N-K. O-N-K, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Gronk. Um, he has his own cardio fitness program, which is called Flow Fit. It's real. You can go online to see it. Um, www.flowfit.com. We've actually, we have a special relationship with them. Uh, he celebrated his 31st birthday by performing at the Hard Rock Cafe. 
<clears throat> um, and also he was scheduled to play at the 2011 Fat as Butter Music Festival. He didn't. He didn't show up. He was fined four hundred and twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't pay it. Um, neither did he show up to the court date because he didn't pay it. And lastly, here his songs have been nominated a collective fifty-five times for various awards, and he's only won six of them. Wow, he's like, he's sort of the Leonardo DiCaprio of of like music awards. He is. He's always nominated, never never winning. But he's uh, unlike Leonardo DiCaprio in that no one was upset that he didn't win these <laughs> awards. Yeah, <laughs> he's like a poor man's rap game Leo. He is poor poor game Leo. Um, so all this to say that we really tried to find evidence that Flo has been caught up in some kind of controversy or scandal. But the truth is that he's a pretty benign guy. Like there's tax fraud playing at the hard rack cafe. This isn't exactly a world star hip hop type individual here. Um, Pitchfork, my favorite music blog, hasn't reviewed any of his albums. He's kind of a non personality. Yeah. He's pretty vanilla type of personal life. And fits his music just fine. It's bland. It's forgettable. I think maybe the best way to illustrate this would be to look at some of his lyrics. Yeah. Um, And actually we're going to read some of them for you guys. Something that Seth and I did uh, was that we sat down and we listened to his entire discography five hours. We, we plunged the depths. uh, We Mm. stared into the abyss so that you guys wouldn't have to, we're saving you guys the trouble. We've picked out the best Florida flow rider lyrics um, that we think are the funniest and illustrate uh, sort of what we think about the guy. Uh-huh. And you, honestly, this experience, I think, changed both of us forever. Yeah, I have like two distinct parts of my life, pre-Flowrida, post-Flowrida. And we are currently living in a post-Flowrida reality <laughs> here at the Real Boys Podcast on the True Boys Media Podcast Network. Oh, yeah. So we're going to go through these. Um, it's worth pointing out that we found some major themes that each of these are categorized by. And the first theme is robot alien boy. Yeah, he has. So he, this whole theme is sort of centered around the fact that he has some lyrics that sound as if he's either a robot or an alien trying to like convince everyone that he's human. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way that he describes things is very like, uh, very strange. It's it's like sort of in the uncanny valley of it is. Of, it is. <laughs> it's like you can tell it's like very close to what a human would say mm-hmm. in this situation, but just not quite there. It's not quite there. It's it's eerie. Yeah, it's eerie. So, all right. So we're gonna really quick. We're gonna run through all of these, and we're just gonna take turns going back and forth on this. And yeah. So Ben, why don't you go ahead and give it a start? I must say that I prefer them no clothes. I'm into that. I love women exposed. The proper anus, like she was painted. Feel the base. Let your booty go. I want to get inside it. Same. Let's bullshit. Two human beings in love. (laughs) This is a song. Won't smile this way. Baby, I rub it off. Put my tongue in your face. I'm obsessed with this female. I imagine her topless. She might set off my rocket. The birthday girl is out of control. These emotions I feel. These are the emotions I feel. These emotions are real. I know that emotions are real. 
that one is the craziest to me. That one. <laughs> That's the chorus of a song. That's the chorus of a flow ride, a song called emotions, called emotions. He just says these emotions I feel these emotions, emotions are, are real. real. <laughs> I know that emotions are real. Yeah. <laughs> See, he's definitely got some, some like alien type qualities, some, some like body snatcher, uh-huh. uh, invasion of the body snatchers vibes where he's like just pretending to be a human. He's taken on the human flesh. He's like these, I, I know that emotions are real because I, I, I'm a human and I feel I'm that. a human just like you. My name is Flo Rida. Because we are two human beings in love. <laughs> Let's bullshit two human beings in love. Yeah, there's some great, there's some great stuff in there. Um, so next, moving on uh, to the next section is just general nonsensical lyrics, uh, lyrics with strange syntax, things that really just don't make a whole lot of sense in how they're structured. So uh, I'll start this one off. Flow rider act a fool. Have a furniture attack. Deeper than Earth's planet. I should Twitter this girl. <laughs> All my life without soda, I weeped. I weeped. Got no wife, but the wife be my girlfriend. My girlfriend, girlfriend, looking for a girlfriend. Nickname Tailspin, leave you in a whirlwind. Tailspin, that's that's her nickname. Hey, I, Tailspin. <laughs> yo, Tailspin, tailspin get, get on over here, over Tailspin. Here. <laughs> that's just the best nickname for a girl. It is, it is. Tails, it's so insulting. Yeah. What possible good connotation could Tailspin have? You leave, I guess, leaving him in a whirlwind. Yeah, leaves you in a whirlwind. Right, but ben, that's I, a lot of explaining to do when you start calling a girl Tailspin, and she's like, "Why are you calling me Tailspin?" Calling your girlfriend girlfriend Tailspin. Yeah. All right, Ben. I think you should introduce this next uh, <laughs> okay. this next bit. So this one is my personal favorite. This theme came up in like multiple flow rider songs. Uh, and it's been a source of controversy as I explain this to my friends, uh, because some of them don't necessarily think that, uh, that it is what it looks like. They think it's figurative, but I'll just read the first line to you and I'll, I'll let you know what I think about it. He says in his first album, bow legged women, that's all I need. I don't mind. And to me, like my first instinct is, hey, bow-legged, that's like a medical condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine walking with your feet pointed out and sort of having this like curvature of your legs outward. Uh, I thought, hey, that's a weird thing for a guy to have an attraction to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had friends who said, hey, well, maybe it's figurative. Like maybe he just means like a promiscuous woman who's like very... Like her legs are open her so much that they've become open. bowed yeah. from being open. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe that's the case. And then I was looking at more lyrics. The <laughs> second second album, uh, a whole album away, he brings it up again and he says, I really got a fetish. She bow-legged. That's my attraction. And that, that just spells it out. It's very Plain explicit. He's like, this is my fetish. Yeah. That's my attraction. And it's... Bow-legged. Yeah, explicitly having a, a fetish for bow legs. And it's like you wouldn't have a fetish for something that is figurative. You wouldn't, or right. you wouldn't really have a fetish for like just a promiscuous girl. Maybe uh-huh. you would. I don't know. Yeah. But it's weird to me that he said, I really got a fetish. But then to seal the deal. <laughs> to seal the deal. There's he one says, more. There's, there's one more. And this one seals the deal for me. He says, long legs like calamari look so tasty, tasty. And what you got to do is visualize what calamari looks like. Sort of squiggly, kind of windy. 
Yeah, more like an oval shape, though. Similar, similar to if you were to describe someone with bow legs, you might say that their legs look like calamari, and that sealed the deal for me because there's a visually like uh-huh. bow-legged woman. And I just got to say, this is a this is a deep look into the kind of twisted sexual deviant mm-hmm. that Mister Ryda is, mm-hmm. in my opinion, a really disturbed guy. And I think he's been leaving us this sort of breadcrumb trail throughout his albums to try and maybe it's a cry for help. Maybe he's yeah. like, I I really got a fetish, you guys, and this is a weird one. Mm-hmm. I'm attracted to someone with a a medical condition with calamari legs calamari legs yeah 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 well <laughs> i suggest everyone email and if you're struggling with bow-legged fetishism um, there are resources for you online you just have to go to www.flowfit.com <laughs> and we can move from there yeah so um, the next thing that we found uh <laughs> was really quite interesting yeah uh we think that he plagiarized a line from anchorman uh, in one of his songs. And I'm just going to read, uh, this is the lyric from the flow Rida song. He says, excuse me, little mama, if I may take this thought and send it your way. If you don't like that, then send it right back. But I just got to say, I want to be on you. Now the anchorman quote, the anchorman quote is, I want to say something. I want to put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, you can send it right back. I want to be on you. Yeah, so it's kind of uncanny because he's saying, I want to be on you. That's like the end, like sort of punching. like Right, uh, that's what he wants. Yeah, but like leading up to it, he's saying like, I'm going to put it out there and if you like it, you can take it. But if you don't, you can send it right back. It's and even verbatim is, there. If yeah. you don't like it, you can send it right back. Yeah, it's, it's uncanny how much we, like those two lines are similar. And Anchorman came out a good, you know, eight years before, uh-huh. at least eight years, maybe like 10. Yeah, uh, I think, I think before this song, I think it was seven or eight, but yeah. anyway, so that's, that's, that's a little, that's a zinger. That's a zinger. Florida, poor guy. Poor uh, guy plagiarizing Anchorman. Tells uh, you a lot about his lyrical quality. Um, <laughs> all right. And we have three more quotes. Each one of them is kind of miscellaneous. We also found the deepest Florida quote of his entire discography. Ben, why don't you go ahead and start this one off? Okay. Wait a minute, shoddy. Why you came, who you know, and who the hell told you to come? Which is the purpose of the whole song. Here's the next lyric. My heart to Japan, quake losers and survivors, (laughs) implying that those who died in the Japan earthquake are losers. (laughs) Like, hey, thanks for playing this this round of uh, earthquake Japan. Uh, Better luck next time, quake losers. Quake losers. (laughs) Get out of here. I I think his heart was in the right place because he said, my heart to Japan. Mm -hmm. He's putting it out there. He, He is, you know, he's feeling some sort of empathy for them, but it's very misinformed, misguided because mm. the way that he puts it, quake losers is and just survivors. so It's like you so lost horrible. game over. Yeah. That's, All right. That's rough. And now the uh, deepest flow rata quote goes like this. My pockets like caskets death live inside. Wow. Wow. Really something that's very deep after all of these <laughs> lyrics. I don't fully understand what he's getting at here, but his pockets being like caskets with death living inside 
is pretty dark. That's that's a morbid thing to say. Especially for Flowrida, who mm-hmm. likes to keep everything very like upbeat, cheerful, like, hey, we're in the club. Not much violence uh, in his lyrics. Yeah, we're in the club, you know, we're in the Peanuts movie. We're in the club in the Peanuts movie. <laughs> and, and here I am now, out of nowhere, just talking about how death lives inside my pockets. My pockets. It's, it's crazy. great. It's but great. I just got to say, you know, it was actually sort of a joy. It was it was a great experience listening mm-hmm. through Florida's whole discography. I got to say, we might be the only people to do that. Uh, yeah, at least in a, a few years. Yeah, I, I, I bet we're not the only people ever, but I seriously doubt anybody has dug in. Like, I bet no one's even listened to his full first album in a month since we did. Yeah. That's my guess. Well, anyway, I think that we have a conclusion here into whether or not Flo Rida is so bad. And the verdict is he's, he's so, so bad. bad. He's so bad. So fucking bad. Yeah. Ho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like his music. I, I had to take some breaks when we were listening to his disc- yeah. discography because it was like, you know, you can only take so many of the exact same, like, club party vibe song uh, before you just start to feel like you're going a little bit crazy listening to all those club bangers in a row. And you know, we care about our listeners and that's why we did it. So you don't have to. And we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors and then we're going to be back with Joni. All right. Yeah. Our first interview ever Mm -hmm. on the real boys podcast and, and it's a doozy this this time. Yeah, we've it's got really a great good. guest. Yeah, I've she's been really got her excited. own podcast. That's right. What's it called again? It's called Podcats. That's right. So stay tuned. We'll be right back in a minute with Joni. So it's the start of the new year. A lot of people have New Year's resolutions to get more in shape, to lose some weight. And you might have heard of Jillian Michaels or Richard Simmons. They are legendary personal trainers. They started the home fitness revolution. And they're all talking about a new fitness training program that is making major waves in the fitness video world. FlowFit from Flowrida. Now I can get low in my house with a program that gives me a good feeling. FlowFit is an eight-week rapid body redefinition. You want that perfect bow-legged figure to shred fat faster, to hyper-target sculpt arms, abs, legs, and more? Since I've been using FlowFit, I've dropped over 43 pounds, and I'm now considered to be severely underweight by the World Health Organization. So if you are interested in burning fat and hyper-targeting those flabbier parts, right now you can go to www.flowfit.com and enter promo code BODYBOYS for two free months of personal fitness. Again, go to www.flowfit.com and enter promo code BODYBOYS for two free months. All right, so we're here live in the studio with our first guest of the series. Her name is Joni. She's host of Podcasts. Joni, it's good to have you here. It's good to see you too. How how you been? Same, same. So we have a couple of questions we want to ask just to get your unique perspective. Um, first things first, there's been a lot in the muse lately about about 
world, things that are relevant to you. So uh, first question I have is, have you been reading the newspaper? So you read the Scruffington Post? Oh, oh, she thinks it's fake news. It's fake news. Interesting. So what do you think about the Republican agenda as a Democrat? Wow, that's a strong reaction. Oh. So when did you first try heroin? Wow, that's, that's really young. Joni, I, I've got a question for you that might be a little bit deeper than the questions you're used to being asked. Uh, I was wondering if you could give us some insight into the evolution of the market economy in the Southern colonies. Do you think that prior to the Revolutionary War, the economic modalities, uh, especially in the Southern colonies, could most aptly be characterized as agrarian pre-capitalist? Very interesting, Joni. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that, actually. So we've just got a couple more questions for you, Joni. Uh, we noticed that you're a very cute cat. Uh, have you had any work done or is this all natural beauty? Oh, maybe it's Meowbeline. Joni, do you think that Cats the Musical is an accurate portrayal of your species? I agree. Huh. Well... So I'm sure as our listeners have noted, there's a little bit of a language barrier here. We don't speak the same dialect necessarily. So we thought that for Joni's benefit, we would just sort of communicate in her native tongue so that she can feel a little bit more comfortable. Does that sound good, Ben? That sounds great. Let's do that. All right. So Wow, that's insightful. Thank you, Joni. Thanks so much for coming on, Joni. <laughs> that again for our listeners, that was Joni, uh, host of Podcasts, and you can find that where you can find ours. It's part of the True Boy Media's podcast network, and we'll see you next time. I hope to have Joni back in the studio. Thanks for coming in. All right, fam, you're listening to the Real Boys Podcast, and we're about to do peanut butter politics. So this is a segment where we take a scoop of peanut butter and we give ourselves uh, a heaping spoonful of it and we, we put it in our mouths and then we talk about politics. And uh, so uh, this, this week we are going to be reading some tweets from our very own president, Donald J. Trump. Does that sound good, Ben? Sounds great. Let's get some, let's get some of this peanut butter going. All right. So we're going to be using Jif creamy peanut butter. This is the ideal peanut butter to use. That was Seth taking the cap off. All right. I'm going to take a loving spoonful of this here. Yep. Just a spoonful of peanut butter helps the medicine go down. That's what they say. That's what they say. They said that for years. Wow. We're already, uh, I, just to give you reference of how big these spoonfuls are, we are halfway through this, uh, this jar of peanut butter uh -huh. after just a couple of spoonfuls. Just a couple of spoonfuls. So these are pretty big, daunting spoons. These are big, big spoonfuls. And here we go in a second. Are you ready, Seth? I'm ready, Ben. You want to go first? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll read a Donald Trump tweet first. All right, peanut butter in. All right, Ben, go ahead. It's the, it's the Dems. 
crooked Hillary got elected, your stocks would be down 50% from values on election day. Now they have a great future and tough beginning. <laughs> Jobs are kicking in and companies are coming back to the U.S. Unnecessary regulations and high taxes are being dramatically cut. It will only get better. Much more to come. While the fake news loves to talk about my so-called low approval rating, at Fox & Friends just showed that my rating on December 28, 2017 was approximately the same as President Obama on December 28, 2009, which was 47%. And despite this, and this despite massive negative Trump coverage and Russia hopes. I use social media not because I like to, but because it is the only way to fight a very dishonest and unfair press, now referred to as fake news media. Phony and non-existent sources are being used more often than ever. Many stories and reports are pure fiction. Okay, we're going to move on to the next <laughs> bit after a quick break. All right, real boys and gals. This brings us to the main topic of today, which is partisanship. Every week we do a, a main topic. Today it is about polarization and partisanship. Yeah, and polarization then, in politics uh, in America specifically. All right. So, ben, and what are your thoughts? This on is that? well. This is going to be a two-part, uh, two-part thing because it's kind of a big topic, and we want to delve into it as far as we can. So. We're going to talk about some of the factors that go into polarization, why it happens this time, and then next time we'll talk about some of the effects of polarization. Uh, so just in case some of you don't know how much of a problem polarization is, um, we're, at, we're at this place where like all of us can see that it's definitely happening, especially with the last election cycle, mm. but none of us are really aware probably of like the the research behind it, the statistics of polarization, uh, which I went ahead and I looked up some of them. There's a website called Pew Research that documents a lot of those types of things. And according to their research from 1994 to 2014, which is uh, sort of the most recent general polarization statistic that I could find that wasn't related at all to any specific election, mm -hmm. uh, was that in those 10 years, uh, Democratic attitudes about Republicans have gone from 16% unfavorable to 38% unfavorable. And Republicans who see Democrats as very unfavorable has jumped from 17% to 43% in 10 years. Wow. Uh, and 36% of Republicans, there's sort of a subcategorization uh, of people who see their opponents as a threat to the nation's well-being. Mm -hmm. And 36% of Republicans think that Democrats are a threat to America. Mm -hmm. uh, and the number for Democrats who think that about Republicans is not much smaller. So we've sort of got this issue of people who think that their political opponents are are just like horrible, you on, know? On many sides. A, many sides. <laughs> a sort of demonization of our opposition uh, is something that has happened, especially in the last 10 years. And, uh, you know, from, or 20 years, actually, I've been saying 10, 1994 to 2014, that's 20 years mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. all you math nerds out there. <laughs> 
unlike me. Uh, the center has also gotten smaller. 49% of Americans in 2004 would identify in the center. And that number was 39% in 2014. So mm-hmm. decreased by 10% in 10 years, actually, this time. Yeah. Uh, so in addition, the idea of what compromise between these two sides looks like has actually become obscured by polarization. Now, comprom- compromise for conservatives and liberals alike aligns more with their party's goals than it used to. Hmm. So like if you think that, uh, if you're a liberal and you think, hey, we should get rid of guns, compromise to them doesn't look like something actually in the center. It, it, it looks, looks like more, failure. It looks more like uh, they think an actual compromise would be something that liberals are happy about and conservatives aren't happy about. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's like, if, if, a tr- if we're truly compromising, both of us will be, equal parts happy and kind of bummed out that we didn't get our way. Right. But both sides now think that compromise is like, this is, it just looks the same as what they wanted in the first place. Kind of. Yeah. Well, unwilling to compromise on something. Exactly. Making the point, Yeah. you know, my way or no way at all. Yeah. So all of this has been sorted to say, well, yeah, polarization is really happening. I don't think I really needed to go into the statistics too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure you guys knew where I'm getting some yeah. of my research no, that's from. That's important too, just to sort of have a ground level yeah, understanding. Just of so that looks. we're all on the same page starting out. Yeah. Uh, so what I want to explore is sort of the bottom of, of this issue as far as I can see it. I, I want to sh- try and talk about what causes polarization. Like what are, what are some <laughs> of the me. things that, that sort of feed into it? Um, the first thing, and this is maybe the most obvious, uh, superficial sort of thing, is the social environment. Uh, it sort of stands to reason that who we're around uh, somewhat influences what we believe, especially mm-hmm. for someone that grew up in a very politically uh, homogenous area. So like me, I grew up in rural Ohio, so mm-hmm. everyone around me was conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of like it's, it's almost axiomatic. It's like self-evident that my environment played a role in what I believed in like the early years of my life. Yeah. And you'll Uh, see that in states that traditionally vote Republican and vote democratic is there are clusters and people who behave and vote the way that their parents did and their parents and so on. So you, you sort of have like a regionalization of politics, uh, in a way, like when you think of like the typical stereotype for conservatives, you'll think of like maybe someone in Alabama, kind of like redneck backwoods. If you're a liberal, you'll think all of those negative things. Or if, ultra wealthy living in a yeah, mansion. Exactly. Themselves. And if you think of like a liberal, you'd probably think of someone like in the city, like New York, right. LA, someone who's like a, a writer. Right. Smokes, who, <laughs> smokes weed, wears... Yeah you know, leather coats with patches on them. Yeah, exactly. So like there's, you know, there's like an identity and a culture behind both of these political ideas. It's not like anyone could equally be a liberal or conservative. It's like Mm -hmm. where you grew up, who you're around, it sort of influences it. But also like, it's not entirely clear whether, uh, whether we pick our social environment to mirror what we believe. So like, uh, whether I say, well, you're a conservative and I'm a liberal, so we're not going to be friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, or if our environment molds us into what we believe. So like yeah. it's, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. It's like, is the environment that we're in what affects us or do we choose our environment? Do we construct it around us to mirror what we already think? Mm-hmm. And I think that 
statistically, um, what I found was that at young ages, the environment is what affects us. Uh, so like the house you grew up in. Exactly. Yeah. So 71% of teens, according to a Gallup poll, uh, they agree with their parents' political views. Hmm. So 71%, it's sort of like you're conforming to the culture around you at a young age. Right. Uh, I think as you get older, um, you tend to rebel against your parents somehow a little bit. I, I think everyone can <laughs> yeah. agree in some way. Yeah. yeah. Some people do that. Some people... Like they just don't, but Mm -hmm. I think that for the most part, people tend to question the sort of dogmatic ideas that they've been raised with uh, at some point and they might fall back on those ideas and continue to believe them or they might completely go the opposite direction. Especially I think as someone comes of age and starts to understand the political context that they're in, really start to appreciate, oh, this is what my parents mean by this. As Mm -hmm. to when you're younger, it's kind of just abstract. It's like, well my parents like this politician and I know that because I recognize their name. Yeah. So the older you get, the more you understand. And I think people are more likely to rebel. I think as you're older, uh, going back to the chicken and egg problem, as you're older, you gain more control over your environment than your environment has over you. So like when you're young, you might conform to your environment. When you're old, you can actually choose where you live. You can choose who your friends are. It's not just like your parents, friends, kids, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So like you have control over your environment, so you might construct it to reflect what you think and kind of build the echo chamber that way. Yeah. But at the very least, there are echo chambers almost everywhere we look. There is like groups of people who believe the same thing and not a lot of challenge within Mm -hmm. those groups. And it's not like we... Uh, challenge ourselves by picking people that disagree with us politically. Right. So, um, and to back that up uh, with more Pew Research, Pew, research yes. uh, in 2014, uh, 63% of conservatives and 49% of liberals said that most of their close friends shared their political views. Hmm. Um, and as you get older, uh, there's uh, in the April 2017, issue of political psychology uh, they say that the parental effect becomes less important than other environmental factors such as our town's political leaning at age 35 and then at the age of 50 the strongest in- influence in political belief for Americans is by far the views of their spouse so mm-hmm. who you're married to uh, and again sometimes it might be that you marry someone and you choose to take on their political beliefs and they like influence you or sometimes you pick who you marry based on who already agrees with you politically. Yeah. And that I guess adds up given that, you know, in your thirties you self segregate to a location like that where everyone agrees and then you find your mate there. And then by the time you're 50, you've already sort of sorted yourself into the same situation. So I think that it's clear that our beliefs are affected in some way by our social environment. I want to talk a little bit about why that's a bad thing for forming beliefs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that the inherent problem that the social environment causes in the political discourse is a lack of exposure and really of true understanding to the views of our opposition. Mm -hmm. So we have, we already have sort of an incentive to prove that our opposition is wrong Mm -hmm. uh, because we want to prove that we're right. Like that's just an innate human thing, especially on controversial issues. So what we do when we don't, when we're not exposed to our opposition and, and the complexity of their own ideas, like everything that has gone into what they think, 
we tend to pit our ideas, which we know and understand, against sort of this uh, caricatured version of the opposition. Uh, and what that is is a straw man fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so, to like characterize the opposing argument as something that's not and something that's easier to break down with. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a straw man. If you think about it, it's like mm-hmm. you, you build the easiest thing to tear apart yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think that that's, what's bad about the social environment uh, and sort of the bubble and the echo chamber is that it makes it very easy for you not to expose yourself to uh, a worthy adversary mm-hmm. uh, in your opponent. You, you're not understanding your opponent to the level of, of complexity that their ideas actually have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're sort of having this unproductive discourse where uh, you just build up a straw man and then tear it apart. And yeah. it's like, if you actually want to have a productive argument, I think you need to help your opponent. You need to make their argument very well refined and magnificent. And then then you try to like undermine it. But I don't think exploring uh, two opposing ideas is really worthwhile if you're just giving one all of the weight and giving the other just like a sort of haphazardly thrown together terrible argument to back their idea up. Especially when that's the whole point of the argument sometimes. <laughs> it seems like a lot of the times when you hear liberals and conservatives fighting over something, it's not really about the argument. It's more no. about the fact that someone's a liberal or a conservative. It turns yeah. into, for lack of a better term, an almost identity politics yeah, argument it just it does gets devolved and into it's the like personal. and it it also becomes more about winning and losing an argument yeah. than yeah. it becomes about finding the truth because losing isn't an option exactly when you're this partisan which is why you have incentive to create a straw man out of your opponent right. it's like if if you really if your only goal was to find the truth you would be making both sides as as well refined as you could. You would mm-hmm. be taking two really, really good ideas and putting them up against each other and then trying to find the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you wouldn't have any incentive to say that one idea is better than another idea until you've explored them completely. Yeah. Uh, but with with the social environment, the, the echo chamber, the straw man arguments, what mm-hmm. you really get is someone who really wants to win, so they, they make their opponent's argument like, stupid basically right because it's Uh, all about winning it's not about getting to the truth yeah so that's the first thing social environment uh it has an effect on what we believe sometimes uh there can be problems caused in that uh especially if our social environment is politically lopsided or Mm -hmm. it's like a, a bit of an echo chamber and the problem is that we delude ourselves into thinking that our ideas are better without actually put putting them up against that worthy adversary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the next thing is how we're persuaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an important thing when we talk about forming beliefs. Uh, and really what this is, is the way that information is framed has an effect on what we ultimately decide is true. How so? Uh, so there was a study uh, by Stanford sociologist Rob Willer, and he showed that the most effective political arguments were the ones that appealed to the moral sensibilities of their audience. So same-sex marriage is what he really was like. That was the sort of uh, the theme of his study. And what he found is that it can be reframed in a way that garners support from conservatives who Mm. typically oppose same-sex marriage, especially at the time that he did this study. It was like a hot-button issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So what he found was like, 
liberals tend to be concerned with care and equality. Those are sort of the values behind their political belief. Uh, conservatives tend to be concerned with things like group loyalty, respect for authority, purity. So conservative participants in the study were not persuaded at all by an argument for same-sex marriage that appealed to fairness and equality, mm-hmm. which is what liberals were persuaded by. Uh, here's the real interesting thing about what his study showed. Many conservatives said that they support same-sex marriage after reading a passage that argued same-sex couples are proud and patriotic Americans who contribute to the American economy and society. So that little passage is like, it seems like sort of the conservative ethos, like uh-huh. in, a, in a nutshell. Yeah. And they argued that same-sex couples are like what conservatives value. Mm-hmm. And conservatives basically said, well, then we support them. So it's the symbolic issue that really causes the fuss. Once you bring it to the level that someone can understand it in, yeah. then all of a sudden this sort of humanization of these abstract policy issues starts to sway the way people think about it. Yeah, uh, I think what's really going on here is that at the bottom of all political opinions, especially ones about policies, there's sort of a set of axioms that are based in the sense of virtue that a person has. So the issues don't matter nearly as much as where we view the moral high ground to be. Mm -hmm. And so what this means is if someone thinks you're the, you're their enemy, Mm -hmm. like on a, on a moral level, on like the value level, Mm -hmm. uh, they will not agree with you. But if you can make a conservative think that you're a conservative by the way you talk about like respect for authority, Mm -hmm. then you're going to win them over. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't strike, you know, the moral aspect of good versus bad that kind of blurs the line between the two and it makes it so, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're bad turns into, well, there's a reason that I think I'm right. There's a reason you think you're right. But like at the bottom of it, we have the basic set of facts, which yeah. like for gay marriage, I suppose would be we're all Americans we all are deserving of the rights afforded to Americans, which when you communicate that to a conservative by saying, you know, patriotism and those sort of buzzwords that kind of transcends the I'm right, you're wrong dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you're just focused on tolerance, for example, uh, that's already become something that conservatives kind of roll their eyes at. It's Mm. like, they don't Mm -hmm. think that that's like the way to go. So like, that's not a value that appeals to them. Right. Uh, so you're not going to persuade them with like the liberal buzzwords. You mm-hmm. know, if you say, well, you're intolerant to a conservative, they're actually not going to be persuaded at all by that. Right. What you need to say is, well, these, these people are, are proud patriotic Americans. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> and you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, it's sort of the result of in-group bias in a way, because we each have our own languages, sort of our, our lexicon of like buzzwords, mm-hmm. uh, and so if you can make someone think that you're a part of their in-group, if you can make someone think that, oh, they get it, they get like what it's like, what life looks like in America for like a rural, hardworking, patriotic American, mm-hmm. uh, you can make them think you're in their in-group and then they'll be on your side. Yeah. It's sort of like there's a distinct line uh, in values between the two sides and uh they're biased towards each other's values or against each other's values. Uh, And if you can make them think that you're on their side of that line, then it's like expanding the parameters of the in-group. 
Yeah. You know, it's like making it so that the in is really just thinking we are all Americans. Yeah. Or even larger, we are all humans. Mm -hmm. We're deserving of the same thing, two human beings in love. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So that's the first two. Now we've Mm -hmm. talked about social environment. We've talked about information framing. The third thing is the psychological need for clarity. There's sort of an innate desire uh, for order instead of chaos. Uh, Our brains are constantly trying to construct uh, some sort of uh, sense out Mm -hmm. of like the the complex world around us in a rigid and structured way. Yeah. Uh, We're trying to like reduce things down to what we can understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because if we can define something and it fits within the paradigm of what we already know, then uh, we can understand it. And understanding the world is like being able to control it in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also take something and understand it from a way that's already cohesive with your worldview and doesn't challenge your beliefs. Yeah, Which exactly. I think then is easier to just yeah. go along with. You're avoiding cognitive dissonance right. if you do that. Right. If you can make something make sense with what you already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of the whole thing behind like the need for order instead of chaos is like the more you take on a chaotic idea that challenges like the foundational things that you believe, mm-hmm. uh, the more like you'll just be in like this horrible state of mind where nothing makes sense to you anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's why whenever we take in new information, we're trying to like fit it in like a puzzle piece to everything else we already know in a very orderly way so that everything can make sense to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if we don't understand the world, if if we don't have an orderly view of the world, then uh, there's really nothing to anchor us and uh, we would never know if we're really right uh, it's not a very comfortable way to live. So instead what we do is we make everything black and white on, on the other extreme of that spectrum. Yeah, uh, a true psychological need for order that transcends the partisan aspect of it or really yeah. just what you want turns into what you need. Yeah. And I think that makes it easier to sympathize. It honestly. does, it yeah. does. I, I can understand because I have that need as well. Uh, I can understand how polarized people become polarized by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's it's not like something you can demonize a person for. It's not like, oh, they're polarized because they have a psychological need for order <laughs> and that makes them right. horrible. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just like they've taken it a little too far for it to be productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to try and like be aware of the psychology behind what we believe mm-hmm. in order to try and overcome it because yeah. our psychology is really like the flawed parts of us that mm-hmm. make us irrational. Uh, and if we can understand them, maybe we can negate them in, in like the smallest ways, yeah. you know, and we can empathize with people who otherwise we wouldn't feel <laughs> exactly. we need to. Right? Yeah. So the thing about, uh, I w- that I want to say like the effect, the ultimate effect of seeing the world, too orderly mm. is that you become reductionistic. Mm. Uh, and if you look at the views of polarized people, they do tend to be sort of reductionistic. Uh, and reductionism is when you make your views so orderly that they no longer reflect the entire reality. They ignore the complexity of reality. It's like, you know, everything's a little more complicated than the black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're extremely polarized, you make it black and white to the point that it's like very obviously not true anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a quote in a book. Uh, 
not huge into quotes, but I am huge into this quote because it's a quote that uh, it really, it sort of changed the way I look at a lot of things. Yeah. Um, primarily myself. Uh, and this was a book called uh, The Gulag Archipelago and it was written by a Russian writer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, and it's a book about Stalinism and more importantly, how the supposedly virtuous doctrines of Lenin became logically and systematically transformed into Stalinism. Uh, and sort of, it's like the idea of like, everything is black and white and now we're justifying the worst possible things, killing, you know, 60 million people mm-hmm. using our idea of morality that has become very reductionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what the quote says is, if it were only all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line that separates good from evil cuts through the heart of every human and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. That's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It gets me every time. Solzhenitsyn was like the realist boy that He's exists. Re- of all like of serious shouts out to this guy because he like in that quote to me sums up like the ultimate problem behind every person, uh, especially when you are trying to do good in the world. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that you don't start with yourself. You aren't our inability to really have (laughs) biting self-criticism. Exactly. It's like, if you want to be really good for the world, what he's saying and what this quote tells us is that you need to criticize yourself first. You are not perfect if you go out into the world and try and fix society by hammering down everyone that disagrees with you, mm-hmm. uh, you're actually going to do some horrible things uh, as opposed to like sort yourself out first, which is an idea, a mantra of Jordan Peterson who made me aware of this, this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sort of like, yeah, that's, that's one of the truest things about how you be a good person in the world is uh, especially with politics and things like that. It's like, you need to look at maybe there are problems in your own ideas that you can figure out first before you try and like go out into the world and fix everything else. Especially as it relates to other people's well-being. Yeah. And then it's especially important to have that viewpoint to say, okay, I need to subject myself to chaos so that I can understand what order is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, I think the other thing that this quote says is that to draw the metaphysical line between good and evil precisely where you and your opponents disagree can be dangerous. In mm-hmm. the context of the book, he's talking about like some of the worst atrocities committed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in a gulag when, uh, when he wrote parts of this. Wow. So, um, you know, it's like <clears throat> you have to, you have to be aware of that. And the polarized people, I'm sure they're aware that they're flawed in some ways. Everyone mm-hmm. is, but it's like, they tend to ignore in in their discourse. They tend to ignore their own flaws and specifically try and pick out everything that's wrong with their opponents. Uh, Justify ignoring and, their yeah. own flaws by saying, "This is an argument that I believe is right. I am flawed, but the argument is right." Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it's like that's an old meme uh, that's like in this uh, in this quote. It's like a very old meme. You've got uh, you've got Gandhi. Uh, saying, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. You've got Jesus, uh, might've been Jesus, mm-hmm. saying, why why are you so focused on the 
on the splinter in your brother's eye while you ignore the log in your own. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, this is not just like this one smart dude from Russia said this. It's like, this is one of the truths that has uh, continually come up in the past like 2000 years. Uh, people who understand themselves and understand what it is to be human will say, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't try to like go out and make everyone agree with us uh, and destroy all of the people that we label evil mm-hmm. while simultaneously ignoring the evil that exists within us. So that's the idea of the main idea of like the problem with overly orderly ideas, especially when they relate to politics, because mm-hmm. like we said before, politics are founded on an idea of morality mm-hmm. of like values and virtues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to sum up, because we're getting to the end of this first half, uh, to sum up, we've, we've got polarization in America. Uh, it's partially from the social environment that we grow up in, and then we continue to put people around us who agree with us mm-hmm. on things uh, so we construct our own social environment. The second part is that how information is framed uh, and presented to us matters a lot. It's sort of decides what we'll think about it if we can think that it's like a morally good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in addition, our brains try to make everything very orderly uh, and we need to try and see the complexity in things and see how maybe we're wrong at times Yeah. Uh, if we want to overcome polarization. So anyways, on the next podcast, we'll be talking a little bit more about virtue and what that means. Uh, we'll also be talking about free speech, which might seem out of left, left field, but I think it's one of the most important things when it comes to polarization. Um, and then we'll be talking about negotiation and fear, because those are also two things that really play into it, I think. Uh, so thank you if you've stuck with us through this mm-hmm. long, dry segment about politics. Um, yeah, just to... Just to put it out there because I'm not immune to making things too orderly. Uh, I've tried to be as honest as I can um, with this, but if you guys think that I've said something untrue or if you disagree in some way with what I've said, uh, I want you to email us. Uh, I set up a Gmail account. I I like to read everyone's ideas and maybe I'll do some corrections. Um, So the email address we will put in the description for this episode so that you can email us. Cool. All right. Great. So uh, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we have one last segment that we are calling Libtards. So we have come to the end of this episode of Real Boys Podcast. And normally we've been ending our shows with a story from a friend that we recorded that we thought was really funny or interesting. We're going to do it a little differently this time. Uh, we're going to do a variation on the classic game Mad Libs, which we are calling Libtards. Basically, I have a Mad Lib pulled up on my computer here. We're going to make calls to some friends, maybe a couple relatives. We're going to have them give us, you know, adjectives, that kind of thing. And then we're going to read you the collective effort from our Mad Lib adventure. Does that sound good? Sounds great. We're going to call our first person, my good friend, Dan. Hey, Seth. 
Hi, Dan. We are recording the Real Boys podcast and we're doing a Mad Lib. Would you be willing to give me a few words? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. All right. Give me a relative, like a family member, well, like a mom or dad. Uh, you mean like a, like a noun or a proper noun? Like a noun, like not anyone specific, but like, you know, dad, mom. Okay. Uh, aunt. All right. Aunt. Give me an adjective. Uh, pretty. And give me one more adjective. Mm, great. Great. All right, Dan, that was fantastic. Thanks so much. I hope I see you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Yes, my bean. Hey, Nick, I don't have a ton of time to talk, but I'm doing Mad Libs and I need words from you. Is that cool? Sure. Okay, perfect. Uh, I need an adjective. What's an adjective? Uh, it's something to describe a noun. So like a, a red apple. Harry. Harry. Okay. That's good. Uh, now I need the name of a person in the same room as you. Jesus. Okay. Jesus. Uh, one more adjective. Fuzzy. Fuzzy. Harry, Jesus, fuzzy. Thank you. You're welcome, Bean. Bye. Hey, I don't have a ton of time to talk because I'm doing a Mad Lib, but oh. uh, would you be willing to give me a few words? Yeah. Okay. Uh, give me an adjective. Uh, adjective? Yeah. Um, likely. Lively. Lively? Mm-hmm. All right. A verb ending in E-D. Okay. Like fucked. Like fucked. Fucked it is. Okay. And... Give me a body part. Um, foot. Foot. All right. That's all we needed. Thank you. Okay. Call me later. Bye. Bye. Hey. Hey, Dad. I am in the middle of recording the Real Boys podcast, and we are doing a Mad Lib. And would you be willing to uh, give me a few words for the Mad Lib? I would absolutely be happy to do that. I've got like seven or eight extra words sitting around here on the table right now. <laughs> awesome. Are any of them a verb ending in I-N-G? Yes. Scooting. Scooting. All right. How about a noun, which is plural? A plural noun. <laughs> Thoraxes. Thoraxes. Yeah, I just happened to have that one sitting here. I'm not sure why. I, I tried to use it earlier today, but I couldn't figure out a place for it, so I'm glad you called. Just a leftover word. All right, and the last word here is I just need a noun, a singular noun. Bicycle. Bicycle it is. All right, thanks so much. I will call later to catch up, but we got to keep recording. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, dude. Hey, I'm doing a Mad Lib and was hoping you would have a few words to contribute to this Mad Lib. Always. Okay. Uh, adverb. We need an adverb. Frustratingly. Frustratingly. Great. Uh, a verb. A verb now. A verb noun? Uh, no, just a verb now. Oh, verb Sorry. common noun. Uh, um, mm, injects. Inject. Inject. Yeah. One more verb. Uh, one more verb. Um, Clean. Clean. 
Great. Thanks so much. Hey, no time, no problem. No time for the present. Bye. (laughs) So for the last two, we have Ben, how about you do this one? Okay. A relative. Like a type of relative? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to do second cousin once removed. Second cousin once removed. And the last one here is person in room. So Ben. I'm the only other person the only other in person. this room. So we've made our phone calls. We have our Mad Lib all set up uh, here in our Libtards section. And we're going to go mad. So this is a letter from camp. It's going to go like this. <clears throat> Dear aunt, I am having a pretty time at camp. The counselor is great and the food is hairy. I met Jesus and we became fuzzy friends. Unfortunately, Jesus is lively and I fucked my foot so we couldn't go scooting like everybody else. I need more thoraxes and a bicycle sharpener. So please frustratingly inject more when you clean back. Your second cousin once removed, Ben. Wow. Wow. What a great Mad Lib. And the, the fun part about it was it was very collaborative. Uh, you didn't we, know if it was going to be good or bad. We asked about how many people, like five people, five, five people. or six people. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people didn't pick up their phones, but <laughs> yeah, this was fun. So that is going to close out the third episode of the Real Boys podcast. Yeah, it's been a real one. Episode three. Uh, next time, Next time we'll be back with episode four true with partisanship part two yeah and some other new bits that we're really excited about and so stand by thanks for the wait and we will be back in a couple weeks love you love you um, too.